Hello dear friends, here we are. Welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life by Alan Kardec. We are meeting every Sunday night at 6 p.m. to discuss the cases, to discuss spirit reports of life after life, where we're learning, where we're educating ourselves as to what the different experiences are of spirits who have lived certain lives. So usually we get a little report of how their lives looked like, how their discarnation was, what they experienced, and then whether they were either happy spirits and they really received a lot of um, goodness on the other side, or whether there were spirits who were suffering. So we went through several categories in the last few months, and we have now approached and reached the category of suicide. And suicides are difficult subjects. My kids would say, mom, that's rough. <laughs> yes, they're right. In a, in a way, it is rough. But we are so blessed that we have all this information where we can educate ourselves. So we know what it means. We know what the consequences are. We know the law of cause and effect. So we know as we act, so we receive. As we think, so we receive. As we um, speak, so we receive and the same is true for, for suicides so in the last week we talked about a specific case which was very complicated and this week we're talking yet about another case and it is our friend he doesn't have a name but it is a father who actually committed a suicide in order to prevent his son from having to go to the military and we might say, well, what's wrong with that? Because actually he did something to help his son. He did something to um, prevent him from potentially having a hardship. However, we have learned, and it is question 944 in the Spirits book, that we do not have the right to take a life. We don't have the right to take our own life and we don't have the right to take anyone else's life. That's a privilege, so to speak, that's only for God. So before we go into our case here, I want to say hello to Tony. Hi, Tony. Welcome. So nice to have you join. And I'm seeing so many more people, but no names. So please say hello and also please ask questions or add to the picture. Um, we're just... Uh, giving some impetus, we're giving some ideas. So it, I'm always, we're always open to suggestions and perspectives and more information. So please do not hesitate and let us make this interactive. So if you want to follow along, hello Sol, so nice to have you dear friend, lovely to see you, lovely to have you. <laughs> so um, page 389 in Heaven and Hell by Alan Kardec. Um, it's one of Alan Kardec's codification books. We will find um, the father and the conscript. Now, what is a conscript, you may ask? A conscript is someone who has to go to the military and it's compulsory. So there is no exemption. So the father had a conscript. He had a son who had to go to the military. At the beginning of the war with Italy in 1859, a Paris businessman and father held in high esteem by all his neighbors had a son who was drafted into the military. So there was a war in 1859 between Italy, 
France was involved and Austria was involved. Actually, Italy did not exist in the form and shape it exists today. It was um, occupied by, by Sardinia. Sardinia is an island in um, the Mediterranean, um, which was actually very powerful at the time. And apparently France and Austria were fighting to get the Sardinians out of Italy, out of those occupied areas and push them back so that actually Italy could be conquered by them. Austria was then defeated and later on um, Sardinia was pushed back and little by little um, there were actually three independent wars uh, for Italy to actually become more of a country. So that's like just in a nutshell a very rough um, outline of the history that this is related to. So we have a father, he has a son, he has to go to the military to, to fight in this war. Since he could not exempt his son from the service due to his social position, the idea occurred to him to commit suicide in order to exempt the young man as the sole surviving son of a widow. So this father actually saw a way of how he could prevent his son from going to war and that was by committing suicide since apparently his wife or the child's mother was not alive anymore. So we may say it was a noble idea, right friends? So one year later, this man was evoked at the Parisian society at the request of a person who had known him and who wanted to learn about his fate in the spirit world. So somebody was really curious as to what actually happened to him. Seems a little dark, doesn't it? Hi Denise, so nice to see you. Avec plaisir. <laughs> I don't really speak French anymore, but I hope you understand, Denise. So lovely to have you. Um, so, a year later, the spirit, the father, was evoked. And let's see what we're learning from this. So he says, oh, thank you. I am suffering so much. I am suffering so much, the spirit of the father says. So that gives us a clue. Then he says, the spirit has difficulty writing. The spirit, namely the father, had a difficulty saying, writing the word God. So we can postulate that that was maybe out of guilt. Um, he had problems. To cut the long story short, later on, he was capable of writing the name because he realized that there is more to the picture that he saw during his first um, invocation. So then he says, you said you're suffering. And there is no doubt that you erred in committing suicide. However, hasn't the reason why you did it brought you any indulgence? So as we said earlier, why doesn't he get um, some indulgence, so to speak? Why isn't he forgiven for having committed a suicide that was really with the intention to do good for his son? Right? So the answer is the punishment will not be as long. But the act per se was wrong nonetheless. Remember question 944 in the Spirits book? Do we have the right to take life? No, we don't. And it doesn't actually matter much why we do it. As a matter of fact, there is also a chapter, I think, um, I know it's in the second half of the Spirits book where the divine laws are being discussed. And I think it's under the law of destruct uh, destruction, dueling is mentioned. And even dueling, 
is can be both suicide as well as murder and murder suicide when one of the parties already knows that they're going to lose and murder of course when it's pretty balanced because one of them will die right and the one who commits the murder um the, the killing or wins will be a murderer so dueling is either murder or murder and suicide together just as an aside even that and so we have to remember that dueling we may say oh that's long in, in the history and nobody's doing that anymore it's outlawed while that is correct at the same time we still have a tendency to duel in our minds don't we you know for example if we have a conflict with someone how often do we afterwards go over the conversation and we, we communicate or we argue with the person that we had a conflict with? That's a form of dueling and it's equally destructive. So we have to keep that in mind. While we have developed, you know, to a certain degree, we still have the old tendencies and in just more subtle ways, we're still committing the same crimes. So dueling is something to really pay attention to. The mental dueling, the dueling on social media, the dueling through um, um, emails, texting, right? Okay, so he is saying um, that his punishment, his so-called punishment. Now, I want to say, I want to pause again. The word punishment, as we know, is hard for us to understand. We've kind of evolved away a little bit from this. This book was written in the 19th century and reward and punishment was still uh, the normal way of expressing people for people to express themselves in the meantime we know that reward and punishment is not necessarily or let's say is not the way to go but we know that it's the law of cause and effect so if we do or think or say something there will be an effect so it will be just the effect the punishment is the effect of a previous act so his effect, so his consequence will not be as long, but the act per se was wrong nonetheless. So even though he did it to prevent his son from going to the army, it's not the correct thing to do. Would you describe your punishment? And we know now we can replace the word punishment, consequence. I, so here's the father saying, I'm suffering doubly. I am suffering, as a matter of fact, I wanna pause. He said earlier, I'm sorry, um, he said earlier that um, he is suffering and because he erred in committing suicide. I want to go to um, the Spirit's book. All the way in the end, all the way in the end of the Spirit's book, past the divine laws, is a chapter and it is called Future Joys and Sorrows. And in there, um, is being discussed God's intervention in punishment and reward. And they're using the same language, of course, because the book was written at a similar time. We're going to question 963, which is in the Spirit's book, 963, in future joys and sorrows. And there is this chapter, God's intervention in punishments and rewards, because we may ask ourselves, so this man, had a good intention. So to what degree can God really observe us and always know so exactly what our intentions, our thoughts, our actions, what they were rooted in, what they were based on? 
And it's interesting because Alan Kardec thought about the same thing and he asked the spirits on high and they gave us a good answer. So question 963, is God concerned personally with each individual? So is God really concerned with each one of us? Isn't God too great and aren't we too small for each individual in particular to have any importance in the divine side? Friends, have you asked yourself the same question? It's like, who am I? Why 8 billion people and God is watching me and knows exactly what's going on with me? Well, let's see what the spirits are answering. God is concerned with all created beings. God is concerned with all created beings, no matter how small they may be. So God is concerned as much with a worm as with us or the president of the United States or whoever we may want to pick as an example. It doesn't matter. Nothing is too small for God's goodness. Isn't that very consoling and beautiful? So whenever we feel lonely or desperate, we know God is there, Jesus is there, the good spirits are there. We're never, never, ever alone. And then we go to question 964. Must God be concerned with each of our actions in order to reward or punish us? So is God concerned with each and everyone's reaction and actions to be able to so-called judge, reward and punishment? And friends, we need to rephrase that. It's really the law of cause and effect because there is no punishing God. There's only a good God. There's only a loving, forgiving, benevolent God. There's only a good God, so we have to keep that in mind. But we fall under the law of cause and effect, just like the law of gravity. We can ignore it, but we still fall under it, right? So I'm seeing a few friends who have joined, and I don't want to overlook you. So we said hello, Denis, Lisa Telly's friend. So nice to see you, or to have you. I can't really see you, but I see you in my inner eye, and then. Gabriel Inacio, and thanks for joining, dear friends. Teresa Castro, nice to have you. And then Saul says he gave each one of us a guardian angel to be with. Exactly so. We, from the cradle to the grave, we have our guardian angel or our mentor or who, whatever name we want to give him or her with us. It's like our personal GPS and all we need to do is tune ourselves into that channel of that guardian angel, of that mentor, and we can have, have conversations, we can get guidance, we, we can, we can um, get new ideas, whatever. There's actually also in the Spirits book, we can read up on that, that there is no question too small that we can ask our guardian angel. And that is another extremely consoling piece for us to know consoling aspect in our lives and it's important to nurture the connection to our guardian angels or mentors since they're there out of the love for us so must God be concerned with each of our actions in order to reward or punish us aren't most of such actions insignificant to God good question right Alan Kardec is just so brilliant he always hits the nail on the head. The answer is, God has established the divine laws that regulate all your actions. And that is why it's so important to study the divine laws. 
which can be most beautifully studied in the STEM with, by means of the second half of the Spirit's book. So God gave us the divine laws. If you violate them, the fault is yours. That's then the effect. The cause is violating the laws and the effect we have to live with. Obviously, when people commit an excess, God does not pronounce sentence on them by saying, for example, you are a glutton and I'm going to punish you. It's funny, right, to think that God would talk to us like that. Like that. But God has set a limit. Maladies and sometimes death are the consequences of excess. Thus, the so-called punishment, it results from breaking a law. Everything happens this way. Again, it's the effect. If we break the laws, the divine laws, and we know the same thing with our human laws, when we break the human laws, there will be an effect. And the effect may be we end up in prison. And here the effect will be pain that we experience, illness that we might have. It's something we have to expiate. We might be suffering from poverty. We might be punished with too much money. Who knows? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, you get the idea. So what we've learned just now is nothing and no one is too small for God. We fall under the divine laws which regulate the universe. And if the more we educate ourselves of what they are, the more we can be more conscious citizens of this world or of this planet. And consequently, we can be more aligned with God's will. It is one form of being aligned with God's will, is following God's laws. Again, second half of the Spirit's book, very important. And um, since we fall under the law of cause and effect, and we can't avoid that, whatever we're doing, it's based on us. We've planted the seeds and we have to harvest them. And we plant these seeds in our garden of eternity. So now we're going back to our friend here, our father who committed suicide um, in order to prevent his son to go and fight in a war. So would you describe how, how would you describe your punishment? And the answer is from the father, I'm suffering doubly. I'm suffering in my soul and I'm suffering in my body. Interesting. I'm suffering my body even though I'm no longer in possession of it. Like an amputee feels pain in a limb that is no longer there. We've all heard that when a limb is being taken off, body part, it still can hurt. It's the so-called phantom pain. So our friend here still suffers in body which leads us to believe that he, his peri-spirit, even though it is severed from his physical form, but in the case of suicides, it is so abrupt that it may take a long time for the actual energetic connection to dissolve. We learned last, last week that actually very often a suicide has to feels connected to his or her body as long as their lifespan would have been. Of course, every case is different, we know that too, but that is the general rule. So if somebody commits a suicide at the age of 20 and they were scheduled to live to the age of 80, we can do the math. So that is potentially the case. So let us go 
for this particular one, again, we, we're going to go. We're going to go back to the spirits book. This time, we're going to question nine hundred and fifty-seven, because that question will help us, and the answer, of course, a little bit better to understand nine hundred fifty-seven. It is part of the earthly joys and sorrows, same chapter, in part four of the spirits book, and here. Um, it's a question that we're actually not concerning ourselves too much with, but rather with the small print that belongs to the question. The question is in general, what are the consequences of suicide on the state of the spirit? And um, the answer is that they vary widely. Now in our case here with this friend, this father, he said he's suffering in spirit. So he experiences pain, even though he doesn't elaborate on how that exactly looks like. But he also says he suffers in his body. So then we, we're learning here in the small print under this question. There are some common threats to all cases of violent deaths, including suicide. Even though there's differences, but there's some confusion kicks in, which allows the spirit not to know where he or she is, what's going on, and that is very painful. So that's another common thread. The other one in some suicides, the affinity that persists between the spirit and the body produces a sort of repercussion of the state of the body and the spirit compelled to witness the effects of decomposition of their body. So as a result of this strong connection to the body that's still there maybe for many, many years, the spirit can actually feel the body decomposing. There has been a video on um, Facebook um, by uh, Geraldo Neto, and he talked about some spirits who choose to cremate, cremation actually feel the excruciating pain of the cremation process. Um, so it's something, it's a subject that we probably want to look at um, sooner or later and see you know what we want to choose for our um, bodies after our explanation you know how do we want to deal with it so that we don't create more pain for ourselves but of course the most important thing is what our inner transformation that we study these cases, that we are aware of the laws around this, that we work on our inner transformation on our dematerialize our lives, we simplify, we educate ourselves, we work on nourishing our souls, which we can so be do so beautifully by going to our spiritual centers, by reading these immortal books, and of course, Cardiac Radio, nourishing our souls, right friends? So we're doing it. And the more we do it, the better we will be off. And in the end, our transition will also be easier. So this is another commonology. So one is that the perispirit is still attached to the body, which causes pain, sometimes for 10, 20, 30 years, depending. The other one is the state of confusion, which is a very painful state. It's very prevalent among violent deaths, including suicide. And then lastly, um, the feeling, the 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 experience of the body decomposing. Um, so, in other words, we're not surprised that our father here is suffering, suffering in spirit and body, because in spirit he also is realizing he made a mistake. So we're continuing. Do you know when your suffering will end? He's now being asked, and the answer is no. 
I don't. But I have the assurance, and this is really important, it finally will, which is a relief for me. And he also is aware of the fact that he will have some mitigating factors because he actually did not end his life to shorten his own trial, which is the worst case of this, like, according to the spirits in the spirit book, the hardest way to commit suicide. It has the worst effect when we kind of cop out of our lives. But this father didn't do that, right? He did it because he wanted to help his son. So there's some mitigating factors there. So then St. Louis is being asked. Um, so this really ends our invocation of the father. So we're not getting more information. So we know he's suffering. But then St. Louis is asked, St. Louis, would you give us your personal appraisal about the spirit whom we have just evoked? Well, we're grateful for that because we know that St. Louis will give us some wise words that will help us to understand. And um, this is now what, what we're talking about, about now is very much linked to chapter five, which is a beautiful chapter in the gospel. One of the longest, if not the longest, blessed are the afflicted. So this spirit is suffering. This is now St. Louis speaking. This spirit is suffering justly, for he lacked trust in God, friends. He lacked trust in God, a wrong that is always punishable. In other words, a wrong that always has a, has a negative consequence. Why? Because we need to learn to have faith, faith in God, aligning our will with God's will. This father controlled the situation out of fear that his son could be killed. But what do we know, right? We're going to continue reading because just up front, how do we know how the life, his son's life and his life would have played out, right? Because these big things, including death, <clears throat> they're predestined. It, God is in charge. We don't need to take that on. So that is very important that we have faith in our life path. We are co-creators with God. That is important. But we can't take our fate into our own hands in this form or shape. And this father did. So he lacked faith. The punishment would be terrible and very long if it were not mitigated by the praiseworthy motive of keeping his son from being exposed to death in war. So there is mitigating factors. God who is just and sees the depths of the heart is only consequencing this man according to his deeds. And we've learned earlier in the Spirit's book that God always keeps an eye on everyone, including the worm in underground. At first glance, this suicide might seem excusable since it may be regarded as an act of self-sacrifice. Actually, though, this is not entirely correct. As St. Louis stated, this man lacked trust in God. That is the problem. And that is what we are being asked tonight. We may ask ourselves, and we're following our dear friend Vanessa Anzalone's concept of a therapeutic question. How much faith in God do we have? Are we thinking we are behind the steering wheel and we need to control everything or can we let go and let God as they did as they say in in AA 
let go and let God. There's actually a beautiful um, little story. I'm sure you've heard it, but it comes to mind, so I'm going to say it in case somebody hasn't heard it yet. There was a little little child that was in an airplane sitting next to an elderly gentleman. And during the flight, <clears throat> the turbulence is hit. And the elderly gentleman freaked out. He clawed on his seat, you know, the way we do. We think the seat's going to save us. <laughs> but <clears throat> he looked over to the little child and he saw the little child sitting there completely relaxed. And he said, aren't you scared that, you know, we might crash, that something terrible is going to happen? He asked the little child and the little child looked at the older man and he said, why should I be scared? My father is flying the plane. <laughs> so what is, he, what is he really saying? He's saying that God is in charge, right friends? So why do we need to get all freaked out? And this in his soul says this father was desperate. He could not see, he could not, he didn't have enough faith in God. That's really what it was. And that backfired because he didn't know about the fact that we don't have the right to take our own or anyone else's life. Hey, Polito, sending you a big hug too, dear friend. Um, I'm seeing Saul, amazing video. He explains very well about that. Exactly, yes. Uh, Saul, you're referring to uh, Geraldo Neto's um, video that you can find on YouTube. It's probably easier to, to hunt that down. But it was on Facebook as well. He talks about, um, you know, what we want to do, what cremation may does to us after excarnation. All right, so friends, let's see. Um, so, how much faith do we have in God on a on a scale of zero to ten? What do you? Where are you at? You don't need to answer. Just for us to check in. You know, because and if we say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm only a three, I really don't have much faith, I tend to control everything in my life or have the impulse to, then we're invited to practice for the next week to come to really observe ourselves. How much faith do we have? How much trust in God do we have? Perhaps this action prevented his son's destiny from being fulfilled, right? We don't know. Moreover, he could not be certain that his son would have died in battle. And maybe this career would have been given, given, would have given him an opportunity to do something that would have been useful for his evolution, right? We don't know. And the same is actually true also for this new law that's in effect in some states where people are allowed now to take their own lives when they're faced with a um, severe um, terminal illness. And if they receive a certain diagnosis, they can actually choose to end their lives here too. And we, we, we learned that here in, um, I think it's in, I don't know what chapter, yeah, it's in the, it's in chapter five, actually at the end where, um, we learn that if we go ahead and end our lives prematurely when we're sick, we actually also don't have faith in God. Because at that moment, we don't know, maybe God had it planned that we would become healthy in the last minute. There is cases, near-death experiences, where people are so-called dead and they come back. There is a lady, her name is Moyani, I forgot her first name, she, she was severely sick of cancer. And maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, she checked out. 
and she spent she was clinically dead in in a coma for weeks then she she was clinically dead she came back healed you can download all her videos um she has a facebook page she wrote several books you know about love healing us and she saw that the problem i'm getting chills was her heart she was had a closed heart she was running fear she did not have trust in god she was the type who would want to who didn't have an open heart and the healing of her heart helped her to within a day get rid of her cancer in the hospital after she came back she had a near-death experience it's a fascinating book if you're interested in that so when we take the suicide medication we don't know right we don't have trust in God and maybe it is exactly the suffering that God wants us to have that we prevent ourselves from experiencing which is part of our expiation so no we don't have the right to take our own lives the father's intentions were undoubtedly good and will be taken into account Intention mitigates a bad deed and merits indulgence, but it does not keep evil from being evil nonetheless. And evil, of course, is um, lack of consciousness. He didn't know any better. He, he thought he was doing well, he d doing the good, right? So it was lack of education, lack of knowledge. So, but his intentions will mitigate his um, effect. Otherwise, one could find an excuse for any misdeed whatsoever. And here is now the reason why um, we can't all go with the intention only. Um, because here's the reason. One could find an excuse for any misdeed whatsoever. One could even murder under the pretext of rendering a service, right? Would a mother who kills her son in order for him to go straight to heaven be less guilty for having done so with good intentions, right? According to such a theory, one could justify all the crimes that have been committed as a result of the blind fanaticism of religious wars. So we cannot, the mind, our minds are very squirrely. We can come up with great reasons and justifications of what we're thinking, saying, doing, including murder or suicide. But the bottom line is, question 944 in the Spirits book, we do not have the right to take any lives, including our own. And it is as simple as that. Yes, there are mitigating factors, but it doesn't excuse us from murdering. In principle, humans do not have the right to dispose of their own life. So St. Louis tells us again too. For it has been given to them because of the duties they are to fulfill, fulfill while on earth. A sufficient reason for them not to intentionally shorten their life under any pretext. So in short, we were given a sacred vessel, this body, a huge gift from God to fulfill our incarnatory plan, to fulfill our duties, our duties to do the good, to fulfill our duties to educate ourselves and become more loving, kind, benevolent, indulgent, forgiving human beings. And sometimes it takes a lot of pain in an incarnation because of past deeds law of cause and effect and sometimes not so much but the bottom line is this beautiful body 
is a sacred vessel that needs to be loved every single day. Remember, you've probably heard Saint um, Andre Luis, I think it was, in Evolution into Worlds, calling it our most favorite, favorable, favorite pet. It's like our little pet that we need to love and take care of, and certainly not mistreat or even kill. And we also know from the first book by Andre Louise, when he died, he was labeled a suicide, not solar. And why was he labeled a suicide? Because he didn't take care of his body. He indulged, he drank, he womanized. I think he might've even smoked. So if we overeat, overdrink, oversmoke, if we don't treat our body, with love and care and at the end of our lives when we excarnate we might still be suicides even if we don't ex how should I say even if we didn't really kill our bodies overtly we did it um, we indulged in not taking care of it so even that can reward us the label of suicide in principle, humans do not have the right to, yes, we did that, but since they have free will, right, we all have free will, no one can keep them from doing so, although they will always suffer the consequences. So we don't have the right to shorten our lives, but we have free will, and so some of us do it, and they can't be prevented from doing it, but what we can do is educate, friends. We can educate and we can always be available to help those in need, those who are down, those who are suffering, those who are in need, to, to be available for a friendly smile, a pat on the back, some friendly words. So that is part of our duty, to be available for those who are less fortunate than we are or who are suffering more than we do or those who suffer, suffer equally to us, that too. So, let's see. The suicide most severely punished or consequenced is the one that results from the desperation of seeking to evade life's miseries. So, I said that earlier, but let us make a mental note in that. So, for those who find life too hard and then take their lives, that is the one with the, the suicide with the highest consequence. These miseries are exp expiations and trials at the same time and withdrawing from them is to refuse the task one has accepted and sometimes even the mission one must fulfill. Because when we suffer, friends, blessed are the afflicted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they shall be comforted. So all the suffering that we experience in our lives are part of our expiation. They're part of our, I want to even say duty, that we need to fulfill in our lifetimes. And we're blessed that we have that opportunity as we read in the gospel, as we learn from the gospel. At that moment when we're suffering, we were given that blessed opportunity by God to expiate, to undo some of the past wrongs that we have committed. So how can we not other than embrace our suffering. And I know it's hard. I'm sure we've all been there where the suffering was so severe that we just 
could barely handle it, right friends? We know what suffering is, but at that moment, it is most important to reach for the gospel, to remember God, to pray, and know this is for our own good. It is the harvest we're reaping that we planted from the seeds we planted maybe lifetimes ago. Yes. So, let us see. Um, suicide does not consist solely in the intentional act that produces instant death. We said that already. Suicide occurs whenever anything is consciously done that will prematurely hasten the extinction of the vital forces. So, if we decide to only eat McDonald's burgers and nothing else, right? There's a movie or there's a book, it's called Supersized. And there's a guy who I think for a whole month eaten, ate nothing but Burger King burgers. And God, did he feel sick. So if we do that for the rest of our lives, we may be labeled suicide as well. So let us keep that in mind, right? So it doesn't only have to be an overt suicide. An act is not regarded as suicide when out of self. So this is important. An act is not regarded as suicide when out of self-sacrifice one exposes oneself to death in order to save another person's life. So this is not what our father did. He did not because we don't know whether he actually would have been killed in the war, right? First, because in that case, there is no premeditated intention to withdraw from life. Second, because there is no danger from which providence will not rescue us if our time has not yet come. So there's two reasons. So there's one case where um, suicide is not really, is not regarded as suicide. And that is 100% self-sacrifice. And in a minute, we're going to go to the gospel because St. Louis actually addressed that in the gospel as well in chapter five. So there's two scenarios in that, the total self-sacrifice, taking life out of total self-sacrifice. One is when there is absolutely no premeditated intention of withdrawing from life. Again, that's not really the case with our friend, our father here, this case. And second, because there is no danger from which providence will not rescue us if our time has not yet come. So death under such circumstances is a meritorious sacrifice because it is a selfless act on behalf of someone else. Let us go to page um, 124, 124 in the gospel, chapter 5, Blessed are the afflicted. So here he says, and this is as an aside, always consider yourself as an instrument chosen to make the suffering of others to stop. To summarize, all of you are on the earth for expiation, but all of you without exception must employ all your efforts to mitigate your neighbor's expiation according to the law of love and charity. That is our duty. Our duty to support our neighbors out of love and charity. And then, let us see. Is it permissible to shorten the life of a patient who is suffering with no hope of a cure? And we said that already. No, it is not. Because we don't know what God's plan is for that person. Even if the so-called life expectancy is just a few days or a week. 
we have no idea what life what God's idea is and we need to practice faith and even if the life would come or will come to an end the pain every minute of suffering is vital for the soul and is not to be curtailed by us humans and then page 125 sacrificing one's own life and that is what we want to look at item 29 on top of the page are persons who are disillusioned with life but who do not want to commit suicide guilty for seeking death on the battlefield with the intention of making their death useful and the answer is whether persons kill themselves or have someone else to do it their purpose is always to shorten their life and it is suicide by intent so However, premeditated intent in seeking death by exposing oneself to danger, even if to render service, annuls the merit of the act. So the minute our intention is premeditated to curtail our lives, it is a suicide and we will have to account for it. Item 30. A certain man exposes himself to imminent danger in order to save the life of a fellow being knowing beforehand that he himself will die, would this be considered a suicide? So if a man exposes himself to a danger in order to save someone else's life, knowing, already knowing beforehand that he himself would die or will die, would this be considered a suicide? And the answer is, from the moment in which there is no intent to seek death, there is no suicide. But devotion and self-denial despite the certainty of, de of dying. But as long as there's devotion and self-denial, despite the certainty that there will be death, it is not a suicide. So our father did not quite fall under that category, right friends? Because he actually intended to kill himself. And he, that was premeditated with the intent to help his son. But that's why he's going to get mitigated circumstances. But it was still a suicide. It was not a, it was not a purely unintentional act. So who can say that providence has not served an unexpected means of salvation at the most critical moment, right? So, um... Anyway, so from the moment in which there is no intent to seek death, there is no suicide. And then, let's see, is there, no, yeah, we're going to end here. We're going to stop here. So if you guys want to look at this more deeply, because we're always running out of time, um, go to chapter five. At the end, St. Louis is giving different scenarios of suicide cases, the one for the patient who is sick, for committing suicide to save somebody else's life, and some others. It's very interesting, very important, because we never know what situation we may encounter, or we may have friends who are posed with those, with those questions or encounters. It is helpful for us to educate ourselves, so we can also help others. So, um, let us summarize what we've learned what was the most important part for us today we've learned that 
we need to have faith. We have to trust God's plan. That we cannot take matters in our own hands since we have no right to kill. We don't have the right to kill our own body and we don't have the right to kill other bodies. And that includes unborn life. So we learned that too. Abortion is another subject that is being covered in the Spirit's book. And that is also a form of murder. So we don't have the right to take life. We have to have faith if a pregnancy falls into our laps, unexpectedly so. If, like in this case of our father, the son is being sent to war and even if we dislike it, we do not have the right to take our life. And when we get sick and we're suffering terrifically, even then we don't have the right to take our life, even though human laws allow us to do that, both with abortion as well as with taking our lives when we're sick in certain states. So we're invited today to pump up our faith in God, to have trust, to surrender, to align our will with God's will. Let us close our eyes, dear friends, if we can, unless you're driving or you're in a position where you can't, and let us connect with our benevolent, beautiful God, who is there for each and every one of his or her creations. From the smallest to the biggest, there is no more or less important. God is living around us and inside of us. He's around us through the divine laws that were granted, that we were gifted with. And as we educate and learn the divine laws and follow them increasingly in our lives, we will align our will more and more with God's will. We're reminded of our beautiful angel guardian angels, of our wonderful mentors that are part of helping us align our will with God's will. We're reminded of the golden rule, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you, which is another form of following God's will. We're extremely grateful for these wonderful teachings, for these, these immortal lessons that help us navigate through our blessed incarnations albeit hard at times, with the guiding thread of Jesus, the good spirits, and God's laws, we're prone to be successful. It is in this incarnation that we become more conscious and more aligned, breaking with old habits and thought patterns. And it is with immense gratitude for Kardec Radio and each and every one of you who is joining the, ex the beautiful spirit guides of this group and Kardec Radio and each one of our homes that we are allowed to meet here and learn and practice to become more conscious. And we're asking humbly for, for permission to close tonight's study session. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you so much for joining. It is a wonderful pleasure. And Sylvia Beltran was here and Carol Coheas, dear friend, thank you. It's so lovely to see you. It's such a joy to have you all here. 
Have a beautiful rest of your day, a wonderful week with so much faith in God. God bless you and as God willing, we will meet again same time here at Cardiac Radio next week. Take care, friends.